deception in the church, part three, when truth becomes a lie. Now, I'm going to put this before you today, and I'm going to say that there are times when truth will actually remain a truth, but there is a time when that truth, although a truth, will be a lie and possibly lead people into destruction. And today I'm going to be talking about what happens when truth becomes a lie. But to do that, I need to lay quite a solid, lengthy foundation. Now, let's just catch up with what we've been doing so far. We've been talking about how the enemy has come into the church, and we've been looking at the counterfeits that are out there. And now we are looking at four specific areas that the enemy attacks. And I've made a declaration right here on podcast that if you violate any of these four areas, I'll have nothing to do with you. And I, I won't apologize for it. I won't be all, get all upset about it, you know, and you can tell me how I don't love you, and that, that's fine by me as well. Uh, but if you violate these four areas, I have nothing to do with you. And that is if you violate who Jesus is, the Word of God, um, the, the cross of Jesus Christ and holiness, sanctification, godly behavior, I'll just sever a relationship with you, period. Have nothing to do with you. Now, what, we've been, what I focused on was we've looked at Jesus and how the enemy comes in and tries to do away with who Jesus is and the various forms of attack through Gnosticism. And then I, I highlighted to you one specific teaching in Gnosticism where teachers will call you little gods. Last week we began now to talk about the Word of God, and this, this I'm continuing against, um, I'm continuing preaching on the Word of God and how the, how the enemy comes in and attacks the truth and authority of the Word of God. So let's look at the foundation. Christ is the foundation of all things. There is a sermon podcast out there, and anyone who goes on mission with me, you'll probably end up preaching the sermon overseas where the ultimate truth of the universe. And I know, I think Dom has preached it quite a few times, and I think Josh has preached it, or one of the boys preached it here for Burma. Which one was it, Jamie or Josh? Jamie. Jamie's preached it as well. So Jesus Christ is the ultimate truth of the universe, and the question we ask in that sermon is, what is God's purpose for the universe? And the purpose of God for the universe is that He is going to ultimately place everything under His Son. Jesus is going to become the center of everything, and everything in this universe, everything in creation is going to be centered on Jesus for Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, it says, no one, For no one can lay any foundation other than one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So God has given Jesus the name that is above every name. There will be no one in all of whatever universe, whatever, is going to be greater than Jesus. Every knee is going to bow. Either you're going to bow to worship him or you're going to bow in judgment. And this will be accomplished according to the will and the purpose of God the Father. 
And when all is said and done, when all the history has been written, when everything has been summed up and everything has been balanced out, Jesus is going to sit on the throne and he is going to rule and reign everything and he's going to be the center of everything. And every tongue is going to confess and say, Jesus, you are the Lord of lords and you are the King of kings. <coughs> Excuse me. Two, Philippians chapter 2, 9 to 11. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. In my view, the only difference between me, a Christian, and a non-Christian is the simple fact that I recognize who Jesus is, and I bow before Jesus in worship and acknowledge him as Lord of Lords and as the Savior of my life. The New Testament speaks about Jesus, and there are people here that accept Jesus as Savior. There are people here that accept Jesus as Lord, but the message of the gospel is a message about Jesus. Now this, for you to understand this sermon on truth becoming an error, you have to understand this concept now. The ultimate foundation on which all truth rests is Jesus. When Jesus is called Jesus Christ, it's him on earth, and it's talking about his humanity. When Jesus is called Christ Jesus, it's him in eternity, and it's talking about his divinity. He is the human foundation, fully human, fully divine. He is the foundation of the church. He is the foundation of the universe. He, God is going to place everything on him, and, 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 and he's going to rule everything. Not the papacy. The church is founded on Jesus, not the papacy. He is the ultimate truth. If you want to know what truth is, you have to look at Jesus, the person. Now, I want you to listen to this. This is important. All right, here is the Bible, written book, the Bible. In the Bible, you will find many, many truths. But in the Bible, you will ultimately find the truth, Jesus. He is the foundation. And there is one central theme for Scripture, and it is Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ coming again, Christ reigning. All truth in Scripture in the Old Testament points to Jesus coming. In the New Testament points to him coming and reigning. All truth is hinged on this foundation, Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I know, I, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm going to put a set of statements up on the, on the slide right now, and I want you to think about it. If you can write it down, write it down, or go home, get the podcast downloaded, and write it down, and spend some time just meditating on those statements. I'm going to read them through twice. Here it is. All other truth is defined relative to Jesus Christ. All biblical truth is defined relative to Jesus Christ. Christ is the truth on which all other truth is predicated. All truth in the, in the Bible must be defined as relative to Christ. Now, you've got to understand that. 
You gotta get that down. You gotta, you gotta get that absorbed into you. All truth is relative to Jesus. All the truth in the Word of God that you find in your Bible is relative to Jesus Christ. He is the truth on which everything, all other truth is founded. He is the foundation of all that truth. And everything has to be defined through Him. Now here's a warning. If you try to build the church on a truth, even though it's a biblical truth, any other truth, without it being on the foundation of Jesus Christ, it's going to turn to error. Okay, now I've said to you there are four steps. Jesus, the Word, the cross, and behavior. Now what the enemy does when he starts to come in and fiddle around with your thought process and he starts to come and undermine your understanding of the Word of God, he will use a number of methods to deal with you with regards to the Word of God. So the first thing the devil will do is he will begin to twist Scripture. That is why we need to read copious amounts of Scripture and not cherry-pick Scripture. Because the devil will come along and say, does it really say that? We've heard that lie before. If he can't get you on the twisting of Scripture... He's then going to come in and place error next to truth and smudge the lines and you're not going to discern when you walk into error because it's placed right next to the truth and it is so beautifully gift-wrapped, so well camouflaged. That We we spoke spoke about that when we were looking at the doctrines where the, the enemy is coming to try and replace who Jesus is. Today we're going to talk about when he comes and takes a truth And he removes the truth off the foundation. He removes the truth out of Jesus. And then the truth that you hold, he's letting you hold it. Fine, carry on holding it. But because you're now interpreting the truth, this this particular truth, off Jesus, outside of Jesus, not through Jesus, that truth now is going to become a lie. The final stage that the devil goes in, and this is where he gets the world, is he will get you to exchange truth for error. I want to go into Romans chapter 1 and look at this truth exchange in a fairly in-depth way. I've been studying Romans chapter 1 for quite a while now. Now, up on the board there, you'll see on the slide, and for those on podcast, you will see I've got four different highlights. I've got a black highlight, I've got a red highlight, and I've got a, a yellow highlight. The black highlights, for me, are are, are words out of the Word of God that are very, very frightening. The red highlight is is what we do, what humanity does, and the yellow highlight is what God's response is. Okay? So, if we're reading from Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 32... The first portion of Romans chapter 1 verse 18 is black highlighted. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Now I want you to look at that, the wrath of God. Now many people, when you talk about the wrath of God, 
And we heard the other day how they're trying to dismiss the wrath of God or the consequences of God's wrath by saying, oh, don't worry, there's no hell. And even if there is a hell, you'll spend two minutes in because when you land up in hell, God's going to ask you a question you can get saved anyway. Don't worry about it. Now that frightens me because if you read in verse 20, the last portion of verse 20, it says, so that people are without excuse. Okay? People are without excuse, without fail, when they stand before God in judgment. Now, go back to the wrath of God. The wrath of God here is when God begins to hand society over to the consequences of their behavior and their choices. And so what happens is as people begin to step into what they want to do, God says, okay, it's okay, carry on doing it. It's okay, carry on doing it. And the danger is that when they ultimately stand before him, they are without excuse. So the first thing people do is they try and forget about the consequences of their behavior and their attitudes. And so what happens? Because of my behavior, because of my attitude, I do not want to listen to what is right because what is right is going to tell me that I am in the wrong and I'm sinning. And so what do people do? Verse 18, part B, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So that wickedness is their behavior. It's their attitudes. It's their lifestyle. It's their, it's their frame of reference. It's their worldview. Now here is, here is what really saddens me. Because in the next section of verses, it says this, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made so that people are without an excuse. And so what is going to start to happen is people, because of their behaviors, are going to start to suppress truth. And when you begin to suppress truth, you start to walk into a very, very dangerous place with God because God then says, okay, you can do it. We were having a conversation at the end. Well, I, I, when, I, when the girls' Bible study was over, I came out and I was having a conversation and we were talking about common sense. And, and people were saying, well, there is no common sense. It's not common anymore. Why? Because people are suppressing what is truth because they do, want, do not want to know that they are in error. And so they are without excuse. And so when they are without excuse, one day they're going to stand before God and they're going to say, well, God, I listened to your great famous preacher here talking about there is no hell. I accepted that. And God is going to say, my son, my daughter, I made myself known to you since before the foundation of the world. I made myself known to you, my eternal power, my divine nature, the nature of love. I made it known to you. So you are without excuse. So it goes on. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Now, here's the next thing that they did, the next part of the red. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made like mortal human beings, birds, animals, and reptiles. Add in their worldviews. Add in their belief systems. Add in there the attitude that I can do what I want and I can suppress the truth because that is an idol. And so they became idolatrous. And so what did God do? God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies for one another. And so what is the heart? The heart is the spirit. The heart is the, the, the soul. The soul is made up of the mind, will, and emotions. Now, whenever you start mentioning these, this passage of Scripture, people who are proponents of gay marriage and sexual immorality and homosexuality, they, 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 go, they go nuts. And so they start tearing this passage of Scripture out together with all the other Scriptures that deal with sexual immorality. But this passage of Scripture is not about sexual immorality. This passage of Scripture is about people turning away from God and drawing upon themselves the wrath of heaven. That's what it's about. And so you can start to see the consequences of God's wrath in their hearts, in their bodies. And you can start to see humanity becoming more and more tumultuous in the pain that they are suffering in their hearts. Because the more we become immoral, the more it affects us and the more it affects our relationships. And so people are going out and getting websites and going to all kinds of things where, where sexual immorality is prom promoted, but the problem is we are not designed by God to be sexually immoral. And so the consequence is now being felt in our lives and in our relationships. And the next stage from that is they then, and you see the red words, exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now it goes on. So what has happened so far? We've suppressed truth because of our behavior. We've exchanged God's glory to worship idols, and now we've exchanged truth for a lie. Now, what is God's response for the truth exchange? Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts, and that's where we get that shameful lusts where we have sexual immorality, homosexuality, all kinds of sexual immorality starting to take place in, human, in, in, in mankind. And now what is the problem? This has become mainstream. And because this is becoming mainstream, we now step to the next level, which is the next red section in verse 28, which says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind. Okay? With the depraved mind now, what is happening is you get in vast portions of society who now 
suppress the truth because they don't want to be exposed with regards to their behavior because they know their behavior is wrong. They take the God's glory and the image of God's glory and they start worshiping ideas. They start worshiping idols. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. And now they're not even retaining a knowledge of God anymore. I read an article, I've got to go and research the article, where even, even the rulers of this world think it's okay to openly disdain God right from a public platform. And so we have a ruler speaking out these things from, from, from public platforms. I need to investigate that so I can identify exactly where that was said. I know who said it. Now the result of a society that suppresses truth, exchanges truth, now gets seen in the condition of the society. And so as society begins to fall under the wrath of God, which is, oh, have your way. So you see this contradiction in society where you've got people running around saying, oh, how terrible is this? We've got to do something about this. And then you've got other people saying, well, no, it's not terrible. Let them have free reign. I'll, I'll give you an example of this right now. So they, they do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They are disobedient, disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And here is the final stage in my mind that I see taking place. And this is read here. Although they know God's righteous decrees that those, that, do, that, that, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, someone that came up and promoted gay marriage in the church would have been laughed out of society. But for many, many decades, your extremists have been promoting this idea that it's, it's their right. They're free to do it. Go ahead and do it. That's my opinion. The problem is, for me, my personal opinion is still wrong. Now, me saying that is hate speech. Now, I'm going to show you something now. What is the next step of evil? What is the next step of depravity? What is the next step of sexual immorality? Sexual slavery? The training and promotion of, of, of sexual bondage? Well, let's go to the movies and look at Fifty Shades of Grey. It's there. Um, don't you think now, 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 now here, here it is now. Here, here, here it is. This is how the Overton window works. You start to express extreme ideas to get society used to these extreme ideas. And eventually when society becomes numb to these extreme ideas, you then move society to accepting the idea as normal. So I, I will guarantee that everyone here has a virulent 
distaste and disgust for pedophilia. Amen? All right. Pick this up today as I was preparing for this message. It comes from the British Telegraph. I have to investigate. I haven't had time to actually go to their website themselves. But there is a picture of a barrister, a female barrister. Uh, I don't know what her name is. I won't put her name up here. Anyway, she's a senior barrister at Hardwick Chambers in London. Allow legal sex at 13 to stop all men abuse, pers uh, abuse persecution, says Barrister. Now she's calling for the age of consent to be dropped to 13 so that the wickedness of men can be fulfilled. You know what's coming after that? You can marry an animal legally. Think I'm crazy? Watch extreme me. Watch the extreme guys. Those extreme things. They'll just start floating these ideas. And because of wickedness, you've already suppressed the truth. Because of your depravity, you've already exchanged God's glory for idols. You've already exchanged the truth for a lie. Someone standing up and saying, "This is the truth." Society is now saying, no, it's not. You're a liar. That's hate speech. And so society steps into God's wrath more and more and more. And so you read what it looks like from verse 29 to 31. Okay. That's your foundation. That's the truth exchange. And that's the ultimate truth, Jesus Christ. I'm going to look at two truths that get pulled out and become a lie. The first truth we're going to look at is holiness. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see God. So if you take holiness off Jesus, that holiness will always lead to ascetic legalism and a false separation and a superiority of the group or the individual who practices it over everybody else. It's you got to come through this church to be saved. End of story. Otherwise, you're not saved. Do you get that? That separation, the minute you separate it, to achieve holiness becomes a work. You practice works of holiness. That becomes a measure of how holy you are and not what God's divinely and through His grace given to you. And so it's characterized by severe self-discipline, abstention of different types of different things, um, aesthetic prayer life, fasting, labor, all that kind of stuff. What I want to do now is just a very, very quick word study on holiness just to show you and give you tools because I'm not going to go into all kinds of truth to tell you exactly how this operates. So I'm going to give you a tool on how to handle what happens when people take a truth off Jesus. So let's do a word study of holiness. Holiness comes from the Greek word hagias. I had it right this afternoon. Hagisimos. 
So all you Greek scholars, don't crucify me right there. First thing about this holiness is you get called into holiness. You don't work to get into holiness. You get called into holiness. Romans chapter 6 verse 19, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Now that, that word, Greek word, often gets used as sanctification as well, so it's interchangeable. So the, the, the uh, American Standard Version reads like this. Even so now present your members as servants to righteousness unto sanctification. In chapter 6.22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefits you reap leads to holiness. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. The second thing about holiness is holiness signifies a separation. Holiness signifies a separation. Something that gets separated so that its use is unique to do something. Okay, so you get separated to God for his unique use. 1 Corinthians chapter 1.30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved of the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. 1 Peter 1.2, we have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Christ Jesus Christ. So you are called and separated for God. That's what holiness means. The result of that call and separation has an effect on your behavior. So you hear God calling you, and you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and He justifies you and you step into a lifestyle of sanctification and, you, and that has an effect on your behavior. So you activate the first rule of discipleship. God, you have the right to change me. And so the things that you used to do, the sin that you used to commit, you stop doing it. And you step into the separated life for God's service. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 7, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in that verse of Scripture. For God did not call us to, to be impure, but to lead a holy life. Now, from this word holiness comes the word saints. Hageo. Sainthood is not an attainment and cannot be bestowed on you by anybody else because you did two miracles. <laughs> Our Roman Catholic or ex-Roman Catholics will understand exactly what I just said there. Yet, yet, we are called and because we've been called and set apart, we've become saints of God and that Sainthood, if I may call it that, leads us to a sanctified life, a holy life. 2 Timothy 1.9. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. What is holy? A life separated to God for His use. 
Okay, so we cleanse ourselves from all defilement. We start to live a, 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 a life and a lifestyle that is pleasing to God. 1, 1 Peter 1.15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And you can read 2 Peter 3.11. That's just a word study on holiness. So whenever someone comes to you and starts to express the truth, and you get a little bit of a feeling that, oh, hang on a second, these guys are emphasizing something to the exclusion of all else and possibly pulling it off Jesus, then you do a word study. What does this mean? Holiness is a truth. But it needs to be defined through Jesus for it to remain a truth. Holiness will never come by rule keeping. Holiness will only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And holiness is a truth, not the truth. So what happens to a church when it takes upon itself the role that it is holy and it moves that teaching of Jesus Christ. What does it look like? I'm going to give you a New Testament example of what it looks like, and then I will give you an example I personally see myself, and then you can go and do some research for yourself. The Church of Galatia, I believe, was a church that came under attack from the Ebonite Gnostics, which I've shared with you, and that was a church that would have led people into separation and holiness by doing rules and regulations to become pleasing to God. Look at, look, go around and look at churches that put in their names holiness church. Look at churches that separate themselves and say, it is only through us that you can, accept, can get access to God. That's a problematic place to be in. Be very, very careful. Jesus talks about these holiness people of his day, and he calls them Pharisees. So you can read in Mark chapter 15, verse 1 to 9, go home and read that passage of Scripture at home. But it's interesting here, I'll just give you a paraphrase. The Pharisees are very, very uptight because the disciples didn't wash their hands before dinner. How dare they eat? You know, they've just been to the toilet, filthy animals, you know? And Jesus sorts him out with some of the stuff that they're doing. But what I want you to notice is an interesting verse of Scripture that he says here. Um, at the end of verse 6, thus you nullify the Word of God for the sake of your traditions. All right? Always, when people put tradition and wrap it in holiness you'll know that they've taken holiness off the truth. And that holiness has become a lie. Mennonites. Mennonites had a great beginning. They, they came from a guy called Menno Simmons, and he was around the same time as, as Luther and all of that. And, and some of those guys were actually more accurate than Luther in the Reformation period. From them, you got birthed out of them the Mennonites, and you got some, certain of their people now living in the Amish communities in America. And so the Amish communities, what have they done? Circled themselves off, cut themselves off from certain modern instruments and modern stuff, and they've said, boom, only through this way can you be saved. And they become more legalistic and superstitious, 
and they, and, and they started to hinge, uh, their salvation is starting to hinge in on holiness outside of Jesus. The church in Ephesus, I believe, could have been one as well. Read, read Revelation chapter 2, 2 to 5. Yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. Whenever anyone takes a truth of the truth, that truth becomes an error. Let's look at the next truth. And then at the end of this one, I'm going to give you the video clip. <coughs> the next truth is the Holy Spirit, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a truth. The gifts of the Holy Spirit is a truth. But not once in Scripture are you told to pray to the Holy Spirit. Not once in, 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 in Scripture are you, are, you, are you told that your interaction is to the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus specifically says the Holy Spirit has come here so that He will show you and point you to the truth, Him. And so I've got a serious problem with guys that's, that, 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 that have written books that have, good morning, Holy Spirit. You know, Holy Spirit, let your fire fall on me. This is not biblical. This is not how Jesus taught us to pray. And when this becomes something that is pushed over and above Jesus, what is happening is you're going to start to pray off your foundation. You're going to start to pray outside of the protocols of entering safely into the spiritual realm. And so when you step outside of these protocols and you ask, Holy Spirit, let your fire fall on me, I'll guarantee there will be fire and it will come from a spirit, but the likelihood of it being the Holy Spirit is not great because you have stepped outside of the protocols and you are taking a truth of Jesus. You enter the, holy, you enter the spirit realm outside of God's protection. I'm going to show you a DVD where that spirit manifests as the Holy Spirit, as a kundalini spirit. Lord, we want your revival. I'm going to tell you now, if ever you go to a church service and they say to you, revival is here. Here is the first sign that you need to look for. You need to look for people lying on the floor, face down, weeping and repenting of their sins. If you see people lying on the floor, jiggering around, crawling around, jumping up and down, laughing and barking like hyenas, and acting like gibbering apes, get out of there, because that's not the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit is the truth. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are there to equip you to do works of service in the name of Jesus, to extend the kingdom of Jesus and to extend the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. I believe in the practice of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm not like these guys like David Hunt who are cessationalists who say the Holy Spirit doesn't work anymore because what they have done now is they are coming along and they are saying, here is an error, and he's got a lot of good stuff about the error, but here is an error to fix it. Two wrongs don't make a right. Right. 
Cessationalism is not a biblical doctrine. It's an error as well. So, what happens in a church that takes the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that takes the presence of the Holy Spirit, that looks for signs and wonders and takes it off the foundation, what does that look like? I'm not going to bring the sermon to a conclusion. As you will probably notice, my, I'm doing this from my study. I felt that the sermon was a bit long and I needed to cut short. And so I just finish off with a few examples from my study. We've just shown you a DVD on the um, excesses that come from focusing solely on the Holy Spirit, focusing solely on the gifts, specifically the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and signs and wonders as they specifically manifest in the more extreme charismatic or what I call charismaniac churches. What we're going to do now is just give you a few more truths. There are so many truths in the Bible, but I'm just going to give you, throw, throw out a few more for you and then conclude this sermon. The next truth I want to talk to you about is, is Israel. Israel, God's people, is a truth. There is a prophetic process that God has taken Israel through, and that is a truth. And what is happening is when you take Israel off Jesus Christ, you get a lot of false doctrines and a lot of false teachings and a lot of confusion coming in. Replacement theology, cessationalism, dual covenant, all the false doctrines. I find it interesting that um, through the many, many different denominations and expressions of church, um, the more, can I say, left-wing line churches, which would be your uh, progressive churches, your, for example, assemblies of, no, not assemblies of God, your Anglicans, etc., etc., that kind of denominational area are not very friendly towards Israel. They'll be more friendly towards the Palestinians and their cause, etc. But your Pentecostals and Charismatics, they, 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 they seem to be more right in if I can say that word as well, I don't want to go into politics or ascribe politi political stuff to them, they would, they would be more inclined to love and respect Israel. So I want to talk a little bit about that, that group um, at this point in time because uh, that is where that I, want, I just want to focus my attention on them. Now, what happens is some of these churches incorporate Jewish practices into their worship, wearing prayer shawls, blowing the shofars, celebrating Hebraic feasts. And I love doing that because it's, it's really some good food there. And, you know, the seven feasts and how they lead to God, really, really good um, examples on processes and protocols of getting into the presence of God. They can bring a rich understanding of the context in which the Old and New Testament was written and basically sort of highlight a lot of stuff that we from our, our Western perspective, Greek understanding might miss. But as usual, there are teachers that take stuff to the extreme and so what happens is they take a truth to its extreme, take it off Jesus and it becomes an error. And the subject of Israel is no different. So what happens with this crowd is they imply, some of them, that 
because of ethnic heritage, the Jews have special access to heaven, and which is a flagrant violation of Scripture. You know, the purpose of Israel is 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 clearly illustrated in the Word of God. Now, the, there are churches that focus on Israel today. For example, Messianic fellowships, and they come along and they exalt the Jewishness, but not Jesus which then begins to encroach upon dual covenant where they are ascribing law and legislation of the Old Testament and applying it over and above what is revealed in the New Covenant under the New Testament and thereby putting Gentiles, Christians, under more and more bondage and law which they shouldn't be doing. Case in point, the Church of Galatia. So it even gets to a point where it gets so bad that, that you know, you just have to slap the Star David on it and these guys will just go running down that rabbit hole. There is so much error and deception and nonsense in the Messianic movement. It's, it's, it's as bad as anywhere else. Now, if you're wrong about biblical truth on Israel, there's more than likely going to be other stuff that you're going to be wrong about. Now, it can prove that a church is wrong. If you're wrong about Israel, it can prove that a church is on the wrong track. But it does not prove it to be right if they are right about Israel either. So just, just, be, just be very aware of that distinction. Now, much of my material in the last two sermons and the next sermon I got from Jacob Prash from Morial Ministries. And here's a good reference uh, in terms of deception in the church. And not that I agree with everything he says. Another good one is, is someone he relates to as well as Arnold Fontenbloom. Good source, especially, especially with regards to Israel and, and, and relating to the Jews and getting Christ to the Jews. Um, I have not researched these three organizations that I'm going to mention to you right now. Um, because I've been focusing on the Holy Spirit and the excesses of the Holy Spirit and the, the um, emergent church at this particular point in time. But from these two guys, they give us warnings about these three organizations. And so you need to go in and study this for yourself. You need to go and examine it for yourself. And um, what, you, what you need to be looking for is a presentation of or, or a replacement where, where you know, you can go along and, and, and have a love for the Jews, but you're not pointing them to Jesus Christ. That's not a love for the Jews. So you're looking at Bridges for Peace, you're looking at the International Christian Embassy, and you're looking at John Hagee. So check it for yourself. Um, I'll, at a later stage, I'll probably go in and, and, and check that for myself as well. But I'm just highlighting this, and I'm just saying that my source for this, the, mentioning these three, comes from... Uh, Moriel Ministries, Arnold von Bloom, Jacob Prash, and one or two others. There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. If non-Jews have to accept the Jewish Messiah to be saved, how much more do the Jews need to accept their own Messiah to be saved? And the prophetic purposes for God, for His people, is a great truth in the Bible. But if you take that off Jesus Christ, all you're going to get is pure Pharisaism as you see right now taking place in Israel. Until they start to look to him whom they crucified. 
Now what good is the truth without the Messiah? So Israel is another truth. But if you take that off Jesus, it becomes a lie. As I mentioned earlier on, there are a lot of other truths that we can look at. For example, I'll give you a few more and then I'll, sh- I'll, I'll end off. Church growth is a truth. I love, I love the body of Jesus Christ. I love the church. I love ministering to people. I want to see churches grow. I want to see the Lord add numbers to our church daily. I want to see souls saved. I want to see powerful disciples raised up. This is the truth. Now, Jesus never once said that we have to go out and make converts. He said we need to go out and make disciples. So, evangelism minus discipleship equals zero. A church of immaturity. Programs minus discipleship equals zero. A church full of immaturity. A church that is subject to the ebb and flow of the tides and winds of false doctrines that are prevalent and rising today in the world. Church Growth programs, evangelism programs, um, seeking for revival, you know, whatever they're called. If they are not pointing people into a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, be careful. Check them out. Church growth is a truth. But if it's not pointing to Jesus, it's a lie. Worship, worship is a truth. But if you take worship off Jesus, if you take worship away from Jesus and worship for worship's sake, then you're going to get a lot of error coming in and you'll find, and I'm not going to go into this now because we'll do this at a later stage, you'll find a lot of money, you'll find a lot of razzmatazz, you'll find a lot of smoke, mirrors and lights, you'll find a lot of demonic activity coming into worship as we've shown you in various clips throughout this, process, throughout this series. Uh, charity is another truth. Doing good, looking after the widows, looking after the orphans, feeding the hungry. These things are good. These things are things that God likes. These are the things that please God. And this is what God says about religion. He says it's good. Very few times you hear the word religion mentioned in scripture. And this is one of the times where God says it's good. This is a truth. Charity is a truth. The problem comes when you become more focused on the charity And the charity becomes the truth, not pointing people to Jesus. Charity has to point people to Jesus. This is an important and vital truth. If that is not the foundation, it is not the truth. So what happens? I'm going to give you two examples of what happens when this truth gets pulled off Jesus. Now you can go and look at various different churches and you'll see that when they start to talk about social gospel and they get involved in, 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 in social activities, um, social human rights activities, etc. And they start pushing into that. What you will find is if they are not promoting and pointing people to Jesus, that church is moving off the truth and a social gospel is developing which is a charity towards helping people, but it is not the truth. So you can look at organizations that started with a very, very powerful evangelical, uh, evangelistic and um, discipleship-orientated message like the Salvation Army. And you can look at them today. You know, look what happens to Christians and churches that move into this area and so focus in on this one aspect, they become social organizations 
They become volunteer organizations. They, are, they, they, they stop becoming the gospel, uh, the, the bride of Jesus Christ, and yet you enter into a gospel. Another dangerous area that this leads to, and another new manifestation in this modern era of, of a church moving off a of truth, is, is Rick Warren's peace plan, global peace plan. I'll probably be investigating this quite a lot more, but um, a social gospel will never save or get someone saved and never moves, uh, redirect someone or, 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 or get them into heaven. A social gospel will put people into hell as quickly as a false religion will put people into hell. According to Ephesians 2, we do not do works to get saved. We do works because we have been saved. And our purpose for ministering to people is, one, it pleases God, but two, we have to point them to Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, we must make disciples. The church is not built on Christian charity. The church is built on Jesus Christ. Another truth is unity. Unity is a truth. You just have to go and read John 17, the Lord's, the Lord's prayer to His Father. We have to be one so that the world will believe in Jesus. And this is the mantra of the ecumenical movement that's going to lead into the interfaith movement. I hear this all the time. We must be one so that the world will see that we are one and then we can point them to Jesus. You know, but, but I want you to, if you study John 17, go and really look at his prayer. Unity is in the truth. I've been approached quite often by people in our area. We must be one as a church, but we mustn't spread the truth. So we can have all of these things to show the community we are one, but we cannot show the community Jesus. Unity has to be in the truth, and the truth is Jesus. How can you have unity based on a false doctrine? How can you have unity with someone who does not accept the truth, who does not accept Jesus? You can't be one with that person. The only way you can be one with that person is to fiddle around with the gospel meaning through deconstructionalism. Jesus is the foundation. There is one central theme in the scripture. Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ coming again, Christ reigning. If they have a different gospel, how on earth can there be unity between the two of you? Unity outside of the truth is the road to Babylon. Unity is through the spirit of truth, leading you to the truth, leading you to Jesus Christ. I'm all in favor of believers' unity. However, that unity has to be based solely on the foundation of truth. I need to be walking with people who are in the truth, who know who Jesus is, who accepts the word of God for what it says it does, who, who accepts the cross of Jesus Christ and understands it, and who, who, who calls for holy behavior, sanctified living. All pointing to Jesus, our primary work, disciple the world, teach them what Jesus taught them. He is the foundation. There is one central truth. Crucified, risen, coming again and reigning. If you make unity the truth, you will just end up with an ecumenical movement which will lead to an interfaith movement which will lead to Babylon. Another truth in the Bible is family. 
family and marriage. Marriage is under such an attack these days via counterfeit ministers, counterfeit churches, false doctrines, and the devil himself, and the world, world itself. But marriage is a truth. But if you take that marriage off the truth, off Jesus Christ, call it what you will, but it's not biblical marriage. It's not ma- the marriage of Jesus. And here's why the devil is going after marriage. Marriage, a good, solid marriage, is, the, is, a, is, is, a, is a cornerstone of a good and healthy family. And a good healthy family is the foundation of a good healthy society and nation. So marriage between a man and a woman is a truth. You take this off the truth, you take it off Jesus, and it becomes a lie. Let me conclude. All these things I've mentioned are truths. But they, they, but they are only true if they remain on the foundation of Jesus Christ. You cannot build on any other foundation and expect what you are building to remain the truth. He is the foundation. And I'm going to say this one last time. There is one central truth in scripture. It's Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ coming again, and Christ reigning. All other truth is relative to Christ. If you miss him, the truth you hold to will become a lie in your hands. If you take a truth, any truth, and you make it your foundation, if you make it the foundation of your life, if you make it the foundation of your family, your church, your denomination, and you do not have that truth based and founded in and on Jesus Christ, that truth will become a lie. That's it for this sermon, Truth Becoming a Lie. I'm going to be talking about the belt of truth. And as I mentioned earlier, I got these ideas from Jacob Prasher Morial Ministries, and he's got a lot of good sermons out there as well. Um, Carolyn will end off the this section of dealing with the Word of God with the by, by by dealing with the Word of God and explaining what the Word of God is, and then we'll move on to the third one, which is how the enemy is attacking uh, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you. God bless you. Mm-hmm.